1: I'm Jenna Ellis, and welcome to Just the Truth Podcast, sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find them at thomasmoresociety.org. If you've paid any attention to the news over the past decade, we've seen an increasing amount of opinion over straight reporting. Of course, we can all have our opinions, but we should at least agree to get the truth and the facts first. Then we can talk about our opinions. But facts and any form of agreement between the two political parties doesn't advance the agenda of either side. If you watch the CNN videos from Project Veritas, for example, it's shocking that a so-called news outlet really thinks it's okay to serve an agenda instead of actual journalism. But it goes even deeper in mainstream media in twisting the narrative. News outlets thrive on clash between Democrats and Republicans. They like to pretend that we are a country so divided that we can't even have a rational conversation. But especially in today's political climate, we need to have rational conversations, reasoned debates. We need to start out like our founders did, unanimously agreeing on the principles of liberty, and then debating the policy. So we are going to do that tonight. And it might upset both sides a little bit, and that's okay. I'd encourage you to listen with an open mind and consider, what can we agree on first? Joining me for the deep dive is Kevin Walling, Biden supporter and he was a surrogate during the campaign and democratic strategist. So Kevin, thanks so much for joining me tonight.
2: Jenna, good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
1: really appreciate this. So I teased this show on social media before. (laughs) You did. You certainly did. (laughs) And it was uh, was interesting to me how both sides approached this by saying, Kevin, how can you possibly talk to Jenna? And then saying, Jenna, how can you possibly talk to Kevin? Well, we're going to have this conversation tonight. And for background, you and I have been friends uh, for a couple of years now. Exactly. And we've been pitted against each other on uh, certain segments. And so tell people a little bit um, about you.
2: Yeah, sure. So, Jennifer, again, thanks for having me. Uh, This past uh, election cycle, I've always been a fan of Joe Biden. I served as a campaign surrogate for him, uh, mostly on conservative-leaning networks like Fox, where we appeared against one another when you were Mm -hmm. representing the president, uh, both uh, before the election and during the election, uh, and, of course, uh, during the various recounts. Uh, And it was great to join you and and in my day job i make tv ads for folks running for office uh, on the democratic side Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, it's just again like i said so great to have this long-form debate because i think that's what's so important uh, is to just move beyond the five-minute seven-minute segments and actually have a conversation where we can come together on certain things and we've had tv segments where we've agreed before where (laughs) i've supported president trump on certain things Mm -hmm. where i've criticized him on other things uh, same with President Biden in these first now almost 100 days. And mm-hmm. we can talk about his agenda and what he's been successful on and where he's lacking in mm-hmm. certain regards. But again, to have that dialogue, I think, is so critically important. And so it's really good to be with you.
1: Yeah. And one of the things that I've so appreciated about you, Kevin, is that you always approach our conversations when we've been on media together uh, really talking about the ideas, not attacking the person. And so where we can agree, you and I, even sometimes before the segment, will text each other and say, hey, you know, <laughs> yeah. what's kind of your view where can we agree? What? What? Um, where should this conversation go to actually genuinely help people think through the issues? And so, where I think it's important to start here in this conversation because we're probably going to get um, some pushback from both sides, right? Because <laughs> we already uh, are. <laughs> yeah, because uh, because the media narrative doesn't like to say, well we are all Americans first. And so I think you and I would agree there are fringe elements of both sides, uh, where in my party there's fringe elements that I don't agree with, in your party there's fringe elements you don't agree with. But where we can agree is on America first. So why is that important to you?
2: Yeah, again, I I think from an American first perspective, we are Americans first and Democrats and Republicans second, right? And it's the same mantra that won world wars, it's the same mantra that uh, led us through the civil rights movement, that it's still going on to this country. It's the same mentality that landed men on the moon and we're going back fairly soon as well, is that we can come together on certain aspects uh, of, uh, of issues and put our party blinders aside. And remember to your intro, the core founding charged to us by our founders. And they debated, they've gotten fisticuffs, they hooted and hollered all throughout. Philadelphia, you've written books about this, right? And they had certainly, obviously, different ideologies. It was more, obviously, states' rights and kind of those Mm -hmm. debates, less so the partisanship that we see today. But again, they were colonists first, American patriots first, and Mm -hmm. then Whigs and Republicans and Jeffersonian Democrats and all that second. And again, I think that's what we need to return to in this day and age is we can debate all, you know, for hours on end about mm-hmm. different policy proposals and things like that, but I never doubt your patriotism when I'm on TV with you. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you do the same yeah, with me. We absolutely. all want what is best for this country. We mm-hmm. just cer- disagree on certain aspects of how to get to that point. Mm-hmm.
1: And how we define best. Exactly. So, uh, So what's so important, I think, for people to recognize then is that Uh, for people who are genuinely America first, defined uh, that we are Americans first, we understand that our country and our founding principles have to endure, then we can all, like our founders, unanimously agree on the principles of liberty, and we'll talk about that in the next segment, the philosophy that undergirds all of that, rather than just going first to the policy disputes. Because if we can agree, like our founders did, on unanimous self-evident truths and then move forward from there, then we can and we should have policy disagreements. I mean, even within our own parties, we disagree on the best policy for things like immigration, border security, um, states' rights, all of those things. So that's why this conversation is important. And in just the last few seconds that we have here, Kevin, um, so when you look at America's founding. And when you look at the Declaration of Independence, you would say that reasonable Democrats agree with all of that, right?
2: Absolutely, 100%. And again, the interesting charge from George Washington, our first president, was his warnings in his farewell address about Mm -hmm. party politics and segmentations in society, because he saw the uniqueness of what this country was coming together in this founding. Um, And he was so afraid of this these silos that we were Mm -hmm. becoming so early in our uh, stages between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson just after he left office. So again, we've got to return to that original mentality uh, when it comes to us being uniquely American Mm -hmm. first, right? And I think that gets lost in the narrative. And that was an attack on President Trump throughout the campaign was this nativist approach with America first. No, what I'm saying is we're... We'll we'll be right back. We've got to
1: take a break, but we're going to be right back with more with Kevin Walling and talking about where we can agree. Welcome back to Just the Truth, where hopefully we are already blowing your mind by having Democrats and Republicans actually come together and agree that we're all Americans first. So joining me for this deep dive conversation is my good friend Kevin Walling. And Kevin, you were a Biden uh, surrogate during his campaign. You are an open Democrat.
2: Open. Proud. Proud (laughs) Democrat. (laughs) Yes, but you're also
1: (laughs) reasonable and you come and approach Uh, your philosophy in the same way, actually, that conservatives do, which is that we need to conserve and protect the principles of liberty. And so um, before we get too much into the details of the policy, um, explain and describe what you would consider the founding principles of liberty.
2: Founding principles of of liberty are equal opportunity protected by the government and uh, protections for the people against that government. Uh, That everyone has those God-given rights, as we were talking about with the Declaration of Independence, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They took out property. I I think we can probably add that back in. Uh, But that's the fundamental, I think, understanding of what liberty means to me. And it's the greatest invention known to mankind, is the idea of American democracy and how enshrined it is in this living, breathing document that needs to be protected generation to generation.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, so with that, you would also agree that we need integrity in our elections, right?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We may disagree about what that means in terms right. of election integrity, but that's the fundamental... But the principle. The principle needs to be because elections cannot be questioned. We are not a third-rate uh, country when it comes to democracy. We are that shining beacon of uh, on that hill as ronald reagan talked about where mm-hmm. the world envy is it's it's why so many people want to come to this country legally and illegally which we can talk about as a problem mm-hmm. uh, that we're this uh, the, the new administration is facing right now but we are that beacon of hope as the last really uh, living democracy going back to uh, you know, obviously the founding.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, and you, you use that term "living, breathing." And so, I have to uh, come back to that because yeah. that's probably one of the few principles that we would disagree on. Yeah, is to say. And now well, I'm nervous because there's... you actually know the Constitution <laughs>
2: way better than I do. Well, as but, a Well,
0: but, but I scholar, want to push back but, and say maybe yeah. that's
1: that was a catchphrase that yeah. some of the people who are listening uh, would would listen to and then would actually impute maybe maybe then a false definition to you. So I mean, so you would would you agree yeah. that our founding principles of liberty, the self-evident truths that govern. Government exists um, in in civil society and is legitimate only when it's preserving and protecting the rights of the individual in society.
2: Absolutely, yeah, 100. And so, how we, we can do disagree that. about that? On certainly. how, yeah. sure. And and the Constitution has been amended 26 times to redefine some of those. 27. Uh, what was the last, was the pay raises the last one? 27th amendment. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we can disagree about a, a bit about that because again for a lot of people living in this country, as defined in the original document, they were three-fifths of a person, mm-hmm. right, for African-Americans uh, brought here in this country, right, in the founding document. So mm-hmm. I have a strong problem with that. I know you do, too, in terms of how that was defined early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's when I talk about a living, breathing document. We mm-hmm. adapt, but we also have to have a mindset uh, to that, the founding principles of what was put forward in that Constitution. Mm-hmm. It's why Scalia and Ginsburg were such dear friends, right. because they were both brilliant jurists uh, and obviously, Scalia, an originalist, uh, Justice Ginsburg more in my mentality in terms of a living, breathing mm-hmm. document. But again, they were able to have those great sparring ma- matches. Maybe we will, mm-hmm. too, not comparing us to those two. But again, that's, I think, where I'm coming from mm-hmm. is more of the Ginsburg wing uh, of uh, the jurist system than uh, than the, and the I'm glad Scalia that you one. brought
1: up that relationship and that friendship because um, I think what is lost today and why this conversation is so important is that Scalia and Ginsburg, even though they obviously were on uh, both sides of the opinions, uh, yeah. most of the time, yeah. they rarely agreed with each other. They attributed to each other good faith. Amen. And Scalia and never— And
2: and equal brilliance. Yes. They were both brilliant people.
1: Yes, and Scalia never attributed to Ginsburg and Ginsburg never to Scalia saying, well, it's just that they want to tear down the country or they're divisive or any of these negative personal attacks and terms they actually said of each other and of course i'm you know paraphrasing but they said of each other that they genuinely believe that the best approach and the best way to interpret the law was how the other one approached that and they gave room to disagree and to respect each other and i think that that's been lost in our mainstream media types of formats, where when the media is uh, pitting a Democrat versus a Republican, often it's not to see, okay, here's what we agree on, and then what's the policy distinctions. It's just so there's clash, because clash gets likes and retweets. Why do you think that's such a dangerous way of framing the issue when we're only looking at, you know, two or three-minute segments.
2: Yeah. Well, this is why I'm so happy to be here, is we can have these longer-form conversations because, again, I think it's in the media's best interest to fuel those kind of clashes because it's good for ratings. Right. And, again, I think you look at CNN, you look at more kind of networks on my side, they actually, I think, to some degree, miss your former boss, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Their ratings are down because they fueled uh, viewership based on that clash. Page views on The New York Times are down because... You know, your boss, the former president, uh, was such an oxygen sucker in terms of the media, right? Like him or not, Mm -hmm. people loved engaging about him and what he was doing and what he was saying. And the media for those four years and the years leading up to it during the campaign uh, kind of took advantage of that, I think. And I think he's spoken out quite a bit about how major media organizations miss him because of that that Mm -hmm. element. But again, I think lost in their uh, coverage are these longer-form conversations which the American people I think are hungry for. You know, I think we, we're kind of swinging back from you know, the 140, 260 character tweets to the 30 second TV ads that I make on a regular basis. To now this kind of hunger for actual debate that's meaningful, Mm -hmm. where we can have this kind of dialogue in a safe space where we can criticize one another and agree with one another. And I'm sure we'll hear from people watching the program, (laughs) too, because I've already seen them on your your Twitter. But again, that's what makes America great, I think.
1: Right. And also to have these longer form uh, conversations, then you need to know a lot more about civics and your own comprehensive worldview philosophy yeah. rather than just the talking points of the day. Because I see so many people go on under, um, you know, just they're a Democrat or Republican strategist, which is kind of the catch-all term yep. of like nothing, right? Yep. <laughs> so um, <laughs> just to true. say, here's, here's my, my flag of my yeah, position yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. it. Yeah. And they'll parrot these talking points. But if, yeah. if they actually had to have a longer format interview, they couldn't answer Answer the first question that I asked you which is what is your philosophy what do you see as the principles of Liberty yeah. and so this is important where we aren't dividing as Americans, just by party, by gender, by race—I mean, all of these things—that the mainstream media wants to pretend are such strong divisions. Yep. Um, if you look at the political spectrum, then Kevin, you know, we would obviously, as conservatives, I would say that the extreme far right—that is more into anarchy—some of the QAnon people, you know, sure. those are those are people that don't actually understand what it means to conserve our system of government the rule of law all of yeah. those and um where then would you draw the line on where there's reasonable democrats versus where you'd exclude some of the people um on the left side
2: yeah so uh, so it's a, a kind of a, d- a delicate dance i think on our side you know I, I i don't all out condemn the aocs and the progressives even though i question a lot of the things that they do i think they're part of my tent where i draw the line is antifa Mm -hmm. And these far left groups that seek violence, which is similar to what we see on the right side that you just condemned, are these groups that oftentimes use those banners not even knowing what they mean. And you see a lot of people in the streets that just want to create havoc that don't have necessarily a political ideology, but they say that they're Democrats or Socialists or what have you under that banner for some kind of uh, cover when all they want to do is hurt people and destroy communities. So I reject, again, on both sides, that element that's become so radicalized in our politics. Now, I'll question some of the policies, uh, you know, promoted by the squad, and we can talk about that, because that's (laughs) not necessarily where I think the Democratic Party is, and that's why I was a big supporter of of President Biden, is I think he's more of a center-left kind of guy. I think you'll probably debate me on that. You think he's a far-left guy, (laughs) but that's fine. But I think that's, you know, he... He, in this primary, saw that the world isn't, the Democratic primary, at least, world isn't on Twitter mm-hmm. to the extent that it is. And there were loud voices on the left of his party. And he kind of ran up the center, at least in the primary. And, again, we can talk about his policies since. But he, at least, was more of a centrist Democrat. Um, and that's where I am mm-hmm. in terms of my party politics. Um, well, I voted sure for, for, I example, voted for Republicans in the past. Something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of Senator Sanders um, or those kind of elements in my party. Mm-hmm. Now, do they serve a purpose? Do they represent states like Vermont, effectively, and the Bronx, like AOC, effectively? I mean, that's part of the the issue, too, is you've got folks on the right that I I disagree with, but they're good representatives of their people because that's what they want their representative in Congress to stand for. Mm -hmm. AOC represents a, a majority black and brown district that's very, very progressive, that wants her out there pushing for the Green New Deal and pushing those policies. Now, do I think that represents me? No, so I'll push back on that in my party. But again, I think, on both sides, you have representatives. And, you know, we can talk about gerrymandering and things like that where now members are choosing the districts that they want to represent. Right,
1: and I think a lot of you and elections. I would agree on that, that that's actually a problem in terms Huge. of saying... on both sides. Yeah, because we agree in, with free and fair elections and saying... The people that should decide we,
2: their members, not absolutely. the members deciding their people. Yes. That's the problem. So, right. again, so you have these districts that are, you know, voting for the Democrat with 40%, voting for the Republican with margins of 40%. Mm-hmm. And there's no challenge except from a primary perspective, and that's how AOC came to Congress mm-hmm. as a primary, taking out a moderate uh, member that actually got things done in leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't think that's the best approach.
1: Mm-hmm. But you would also um, agree that some of the extreme socialist policies that she's advocating for don't represent what would be, in your definition, um, a reasonable Democrat position. Sure, sure.
2: Yeah. Again, and I think that's the same case with some of the more crazy conservative things in this now-Nativist you know caucus that's mm-hmm. kind of getting some wind and stuff like that that's hugely problematic. But well, which she, is why
1: know. we have to go back to where do we agree, what yeah. are the principles of liberty, and what are things that are anti-American in the sense that, Um, it fundamentally goes against the nature and purpose and design of our system And that that gets into, for example, court packing, yeah. right? So that's something, and we just have about forty five seconds left. But yeah. um, is that something that you, as a Democrat, think your party should support? No,
2: I think it's hugely problematic. I mean, it hasn't been changed. You could tell me since eighteen something mm-hmm. or other. I mean, FDR I mean,
1: tried, but he didn't. FDR you know, tried,
2: yeah. and it actually hobbled him coming out of yeah. that by his own party. That this is a much longer debate. I'm, I'm all about uh, you know studying because I do think there's mm-hmm. a disconnect. Maybe we we'll look at we look at time limits so there isn't the politics but of when people reform, retire.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. We need to look at term limits. We need more. We need, need more, we need more members that. on
2: the bench. I think your former boss did an effective job of putting people in place. I think we need to expand courts because there's so mm-hmm. many jurisdiction issues, but that's certainly a, a longer yeah, debate. Yeah, and that's
1: something we can talk about, and we'll be right back. See, there's so much to talk about on both sides, but I'm glad we're having this conversation. We'll be right back with more here on Just the jury. The Angie's List
3: You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list.
1: Continuing the conversation about why it's so important to have reasoned, rational debates uh, in America between Republicans and Democrats or whatever party you do or don't subscribe to. So uh, here joining me tonight is my good friend Kevin Walling, who is a Democrat Biden campaign surrogate. And you and I have known each other for years. And. Amazingly enough, Kevin, uh, in and on the camera, and then also uh, off camera and offset, we have rational, reasoned discussions. Amen. I think that kind of shocks yeah. people. Yeah, it does. Right. It certainly does.
2: <laughs> uh, and because again, we don't exist just on Twitter. Uh, right. You know, we exist in real life. Um, and I care about you. You know, I um, we would check in during the campaign just to see mm-hmm. how each of us were doing. Obviously, on either sides. You know, speaking on on behalf of the campaign as a surrogate, you obviously helping lead the president's legal team and and really being uh, on every network, it seemed like, during the recount and obviously during the the campaign. So we fundamentally care about each other Mm -hmm. as Americans. um, And... People that like politics and engage in politics who just happen to, to disagree on some things.
1: Yeah, and, and we'll debate back and forth. So let's get into some of those debates because I think we've agreed that it's important as Americans to come together, support our rule of law, our U.S. Constitution as, as a designed around the principles of liberty articulated in the Declaration of Independence as a starting place. And so then moving forward, what are the policy issues that we kind of actually agree on the principle, but then it's the policy that uh, we disagree somewhat on the, yeah. uh, the the implementation or some of the policy things around it. So we were talking sure. before the break about judicial reform. And this uh-huh. is something where um, it actually surprised a lot of people that uh, when Biden announced his commission, I said, well, hey, that's actually not a terrible idea. It's not bipartisan, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. There's, there's just a couple of maybe conservatives. But the idea of judicial reform is actually something that conservatives have championed for a long time. Yeah. It's just what reforms are we talking about? Yeah. So what are some of the reforms that you would be an advocate for?
2: Well, certainly increasing the size of the bench on the federal uh, circuit and and district level, I think is Mm -hmm. is supremely important because there is such a backlog, I think, in in cases and how cases progress on at least the federal level through the circuits and and district courts uh, in this country. I'd also be interestingly uh, open to uh, some term limits, I think, for Mm -hmm. some judicial positions because, Jenna, my my problem is, and we're seeing this right now on the Democratic side, is everyone is demanding, a lot of people are demanding that Justice Breyer step down. Now, he's got a lot of life left in him, knock Mm -hmm. on glass here, um, and wants to continue on the Supreme Court, but they're so fearful of what four years down the road uh, uh, happens uh, if a Republican uh, takes over mm-hmm. in the White House, and if we lose the position for Democrats to appoint someone, mm-hmm. so like I think, what
1: happened with Ginsburg?
2: With hap- happened with Ginsburg, mm-hmm. uh, we can talk about what happened with Scalia right. <laughs> in terms of that seat. Um, but I, but I think that's problematic in terms of. The political pressure on our judiciary especially mm-hmm. when it comes to retirements and timing retirements right because i want justices and judges to serve to when they feel ready to step down or retire and not have the political weight on them in terms mm-hmm. of how they decide cases and how they interact with their caseloads and all of that be a pressure point in terms of when they decide to step down. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one avenue that we can have a conversation on potentially mm-hmm. around term limits. And, but-
1: and shockingly enough, this isn't going to be um, a debate because I agree with you on yeah. all those things. Yeah. Um, so on this on this perspective, um, judicial reform from a conservative standpoint, we've talked about term limits uh, as a as a way and mechanism to uh, to try to decrease that pressure and some of the um, what was meant to be judicial independence that really isn't because the bench has become so partisan. But conservatives. Let's remember. Also, with the Ninth Circuit, we've talked about uh, breaking up the Ninth Circuit. Uh, just, that's all of
2: the West Coast. That's yeah, California. Yeah, California, it's all of that, just because it's huge, yeah. and yeah. it was,
1: and it was never. Uh, really meant to cover that much. And so looking at the caseload, looking at some of that. Sure. So that's technically increasing the size of the federal bench. It's not the Supreme Court. sure. But what we're discussing, that's not court packing, right? No, you know, no, it's a,
2: no, it's increasing the size of the judiciary. Right. Not, not and, on cases being heard. Yes, in terms and of not di- on yeah.
1: the Supreme Court just for the purpose of appointing partisan, politically motivated judges. Because exactly where I think right. you and I would also agree is that in our design of the separation of powers, judicial independence and impartiality really absolutely needs to be maintained.
2: Totally, 100%. Yeah,
1: and so we can have these and conversations. Is, and this
2: is where I uh, might be a bit critical of President Biden right now weighing on the sh- weighing in on the Chauvin trial. It's mm-hmm. where I was critical of your former boss, President Trump, weighing in on cases proceeding through uh, the judicial system. Because, again, uh, when you have uh, both the Department of Justice and federal judiciary appointed by Republicans and Democrats, and you see an executive or mm-hmm. a party a uh, uh, politician weighing in on a certain case, mm-hmm. that's hugely problematic in terms of what the jury is weighing what's on the mindset of that judge? Does the judge want you know, a higher appointment or something like that? So I think we've got to just take the executive way more out of the process. I think that's something we can probably mm-hmm. agree on and Absolutely. really establish the independency of, of the third branch of government.
1: Yeah, because it was never meant for, uh, the independent judiciary was never meant that the uh, two political branches uh, could influence and persuade. And that's exactly right. where we saw uh, Joe Biden do that in a way that I think was very irresponsible. It was and, problematic, um, certainly. Very problematic for the appeals. Um, I would use the term reckless. You probably wouldn't. No. But, um, but I, I agree I think Trump with was you. reckless when he was weighing in
0: on those cases.
1: But, <laughs> but well, but I think <laughs> yeah. that the point remains that we can agree that neither executive, for a political reason, should ever weigh in. And that was where exactly Ginsburg right. actually was the one in uh, her nomination hearings, Uh, was the one to really say, you know, it would be improper in uh, the Senate confirmation hearings uh, to weigh in on potentially future cases because that would make a judge look partisan. She was the first one to establish that um, as someone who now the right uh, absolutely didn't like her jurisprudence, but she was correct on that issue. And so we're people need to take a step back from just party fealty and say, okay, if. Justice Scalia had said that exact same thing, or President Trump had said that same thing, or from your perspective, if Joe Biden versus uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had said that exact same thing, do we agree with the philosophy and the position of that versus just whoever said it?
2: Absolutely. And again, I think uh, partly too, and you bring up um, Justice Ginsburg's Ginsburg's, um, hearing before the Senate, that whole process has become too politicized too Absolutely. and again there's a li- literally life and death issues that the Supreme Court deals with so the, the the importance of it cannot be understated but these recent hearings on both sides with both appointees from President uh, Clinton, Obama, uh, Bush, <laughs> Trump have become such a circus where all these individuals just want to score political points on both sides with mm-hmm. with nominees and, and I can disagree with Judge, uh, Justice Coney Barrett to the cows come home. But is she qualified for the bench? And is that the one singular uh, thing that you should rule on as you're advising and consenting from the Senate perspective? Then yes. And same with, you know, mm-hmm. Sony Sotomayor or Elena exactly. Kagan or what have you. Mm-hmm. And I give, I gave some Republicans some credit during the Obama years, which is when we at least had a little bit of bipartisanship, where Lindsey mm-hmm. Graham voted for both Elena Kagan right. and Sonia Sotomayor on the judi- on the Judicial Committee. And so these two women are brilliant jurists. I disagree with a lot of their philosophy, but they are, and they've got the highest ABA reading, so, stuff like that, mm-hmm. same with Amy Coney Barrett. They, do they deserve to be on the bench? Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's where elections have consequences. And it shouldn't be so politicized that where a president through our constitution has the ability and actually the responsibility to nominate, and then with advice and consent of the Senate, they. Uh, you're absolutely right, we need to look at their jurisprudential qualifications, not the mm-hmm. political metrics.
2: Exactly. So, exactly. Um, so we
1: only have a couple of minutes here, and I want to get to our winners. I'm lizards. so excited for this segment. Um, but yes, yeah, so but real quick, we <laughs> yeah. have to talk about immigration, just really, really quick, because um, you and I actually agree on what compromise.
2: On, let's finish the wall. Let's mm-hmm. build it, and let's get a plan for DACA, which is something that President Trump brought Democrats mm-hmm. to the White House on. It's something that we should, with President Biden, uh, bring folks together on, too. We can compromise more border security, more funding for the wall, a solution for DACA, some Mm -hmm. solution for a lot of people that are here in this country without documentation, and where can we come together?
1: Absolutely, and I would agree with you on that. And the reason that uh, conservatives were against Obama with DACA was only because it was through executive order. Exactly, and And it can't be executive order. It can't be executive order. It can't be every four years. Right, and it has to, through the Constitution, the uniform rule of immigration has to go through Congress, but that's something that we can agree on, and I think it's actually shocking to people now yeah. that you're saying pro wall, I'm saying pro-DACA, but hey, we're both hey, Americans, and that's, <laughs> that's actually something we can agree on on policy. All right, so we're going then to our winners and losers with uh, Kevin Walling, and so your winners for both Republicans and Democrats, and why?
2: Uh, so one of my favorite uh, clips out of this week was uh, Congresswoman Val Demings, a representative from Florida. She had a heated exchange uh, with uh, Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio, uh, kind of putting him in his place. Jim Jordan is the most outspoken guy, I think, uh, <laughs> in Congress. We can agree on that. Yeah. Uh, he and, and Ted then,
1: Cruz, I think. And oh, <laughs> and neck Ted and Cruz, neck, but yeah. They had a
2: little bit of a, a tussle, uh, which was interesting to see. She is a nearly 30 year veteran of law enforcement. So she's got a little bit of a gumption there to put him back in his place. So that was a really, that kind of made the rounds online. Uh, so it was kind of fun to see. My other winner comes from the state of Florida. Uh, And it's Ron DeSantis, actually, which is kind of interesting. I wanted to be bipartisan, Republican and Democrat. Mm -hmm. I think he's having an excellent couple of weeks. I actually defended him uh, on a different network uh, the other night with this kind of bogus 60 Minutes story that was fabricated to kind of attack him on the vaccine rollout. Um, And I think, you know, uh, he's looking pretty good coming out of... Uh, what 60 Minutes tried to do with them and and Mm -hmm. the vaccine rollout that's proceeding in Florida.
1: Mm -hmm. All right, and your losers on both sides.
2: So uh, big loser is still uh, Andrew Cuomo, who just doesn't know when to quit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So happy to see him go. Uh, I I think I'm pretty consistent in terms of calling people out across the board. Um, And once you you think that someone is replaceable and everyone in politics is replaceable, then he's certainly got to go, not just on the sexual harassment stuff, but obviously, too, on the nursing home stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's got to go. And then I forget what was my what was the my Republican that was <laughs> your the,
1: Republican that was the loser. Yeah. Uh, let's put it. Oh, Marjorie. Taylor oh, Marjorie Green. Taylor Green. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So Marjorie tweeting last night. You know, the D.C. was a riot zone. I had dinner last night out on the streets of D.C. God love her. Uh, she she just wanted to stir up trouble. I think in the wake of the the verdict. So mm-hmm. uh, she's my loser this week. Yeah. Don't come you, after D.C. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think that too. All right. So let's real quick go to my winner and losers. And so if you put that up there, uh, the winner, I actually have uh, the same from Ron DeSantis of Florida. Um, I think that he absolutely has handled the COVID situation, Florida uh, very well, being an excellent constitutionalist. And then winner on the Democrat side, Joe Manchin. I think that he has played it very, very down He's the down most the powerful middle. Democrat in He's the United States Senate. Absolutely. And then just real quick, uh, so I could go into that more yeah. detail, but real quick, uh, the losers as well on my side, I have uh mitch mcconnell for obvious reasons i think he needs to get out he is not a conservative he is not um, a good representative of our party anymore and then of course the loser is vice president kamala harris Uh, she just hovers she's basically a helicopter vice president at this point so uh, we are going to get back with more uh, in the public square your questions with kevin walling when we come back
3: what makes a life a good one
1: And we are now going to The Public Square with Kevin Walling. This is the opportunity for you to send in your questions. You can always ask me questions, and I'm happy to answer them. But since Kevin is here in the hot seat, we asked you on Twitter, on social media, and uh, you can always write in at just the truth at voice.news with any of your questions. We asked you uh, to ask Kevin your questions tonight. So I'm
2: ready. Kevin. I feel like it, the Kevin. seat's already gotten hotter.
1: <laughs> yes. All right. Well, it's because you're in it. So. All right. So uh, what issue did Joe Biden's campaign address that was most important to you?
2: Uh, I think, number one, Uh, COVID-19. And I think, you know, I give President Trump a lot of credit in terms of the vaccine development. Uh, I think the campaign focused on uh, the COVID pandemic like a a laser beam um, uh, in terms of getting the vaccine rollout uh, to the extent that it is. We just crossed 200 million vaccines on day 93 uh, of the administration. Um, so I think that's something that uh, the campaign seriously focused on and, and is delivering for the American people on.
1: Mm-hmm. And and that's something really uh, that we should all come together on and not have such a political issue. Amen. Um, I think that's just, that's that's ridiculous. But I'll, I'll be quiet and ask you the questions. Okay, so do, <laughs> do Democrats and do you support vaccine passports?
2: Uh, I don't. Uh, I think it's, you know, and you're seeing a push uh, from uh, corporate America, from the business committee, I think that's where you're seeing the most amount of drive for that. Um, uh, so, I, you know, I think if you want to go to a music venue, for example, and they have a requirement, as, and you could, we could debate the constitutional idea, you probably mm-hmm. know that better than I do, but they can set reasonable limits for how they... uh, you know bring people in from a public health perspective so I think if they're driving that narrative um, uh, then I think that's okay if it's coming from the business perspective I don't know where the government weighs in in terms of civil liberties and HIPAA and that kind of stuff that Mm -hmm. I think gets into murky waters much more for debate on that front.
1: Yeah, and we'll have to have you back definitely to debate some of these issues. I'd be interested to hear what you think, too. I know this is like, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, (laughs) if we have time, I'll I'll get into that. But uh, how far would you go supporting Joe Biden if he supported a socialist agenda, got on board with the squad?
2: He, okay. Well, thank you for your question. He's nowhere near uh, a socialist. Uh, I, you know, again, he's, he is meeting with bipartisan groups of senators and house members this past week, the week before, um, and I, you know, I don't think uh, the country would let him go in that direction because, again, and we've talked about this, President Trump got seventy-four million uh, votes. I'd uh, say
1: a little higher than that, but we can let that go. Yeah,
2: we'll debate that too. <laughs> uh, President Biden got about eighty-one million votes. Uh, million votes. So the country is pretty divided in terms of our politics. And I think he does his best work when it's somewhere in the middle and appealing to both sides. So, you know, he campaigned against those more kind of leftist interests during the primary um, and is not governing like that. I, I think in the first two months we can debate about that. that mm-hmm. he's been But in, in, a,
1: in a hypothetical Situation for you. If yeah. he ever supported the socialist agenda, where would you draw the line and say, "Hey, I'm not a Biden supporter"? Anymore. I,
2: I would draw the line in, in terms of if he went full on squad and if he went full on Trump. I would draw the line. <laughs>
1: okay, <laughs> all right. Uh, do you think that a person can be part of the Democrat Party and be pro-life?
2: Certainly. I, you know, I, I think you know we want it as big a big tent uh, party as possible. I think um, you know I, I remember a guy named Bart Stupak who represented uh, Michigan. pushed actually for the Stupak amendment during uh, the Obamacare debates who was adamantly pro-life and a a progressive Democrat represented the Upper Peninsula um, in Michigan. So I hope there's a place for people, I hope people feel comfortable uh, in this party um, because I hate when it comes down to just one singular issue. De- 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 deciding and-, and determining what party you subscribe to. I think we want- need to be holistic and welcome everybody.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, uh, But that's part of the Democrat platform, right, is to be pro-choice.
2: Sure. Yeah. So
1: where do you see that fitting in?
2: Well, again, you have party platforms uh, that say some terrible things, I think, on the Republican side that I disagree with. Um, but I-, I vote for the person. Not necessarily the party platform. I don't think any anyone in this country should vote just for the party platform. I think people should believe in individuals. And again, as I said before, I've voted for Republicans and Democrats in the past uh, on both sides of the the life issue. Um, so again, I think that you can you can. Uh, push aside the platform and vote for the person that you believe in. And there's a lot of good pro-life Democrats that serve mostly on the local and state level, mayors, things like that, that you can vote for that you believe in. But hopefully you find a a home with the Democratic Party, regardless of what you uh, believe on that issue.
1: All right. Uh, Okay. And then we've talked about packing the Supreme Court. So hopefully that answered uh, the viewer's question. Uh, Do you think that Biden is usurping his authority with so many executive orders?
2: I think we have this debate uh, when it comes to immigration. I think it's problematic because, again, uh, as we know, uh, uh, executive actions can be overturned with every new administration. Mm -hmm. And you saw when President Trump came in, he reversed a number of the Obama policies. When President Biden came in, he reversed many of the Trump policies. And that's no way to govern. And I think that's fundamentally why Congress is broken, because they've also allowed the executive, both Republican and Democratic administrations, to take their power when it comes to legislating, because they are so inefficient to passing big ticket legislation, like immigration reform, where the majority of Americans in this country can agree on what we just said. The majority of Americans are there with the wall and border security and with DACA, right? But Congress can't get it done. Mm -hmm. So it empowers the executive to do and to push the limits of executive power, for both the Trump administration, Biden administration, and previous administrations. But that's, I think, one of the fundamental flaws of the Congress, not getting things done, is a president stepping in and saying, okay, well, I'll deliver action on this, and then it gets overturned with the next administration. That's no way to govern the greatest democracy in the world.
1: Right, and and that's why we have a Congress that uh, Article 1, Section 1 says all legislative authority, is vested in the Congress, Uh, not in the executive branch, but we've seen so much of congressional uh, action or inaction and also delegating their authority. They have have
2: single-handedly made the executive this strong because they don't want to get anything done because they don't want to take a tough vote, Jenna, because they don't want to lose their their job.
1: Yeah, and that's really problematic when you have people who are career politicians instead of statesmen. Amen. Yeah. All right, so uh, what did you agree with in the Trump administration?
2: So I think, number one, uh, taking a tougher line, certainly with China, mm-hmm. was a very important thing. You're seeing that continue on, I think, with this administration. Colin, we can have
1: that debate. We can we're debate sure, that. But uh, Beijing, Biden.
2: But we're certainly pushing China in the right direction on, on many things. Um, so I, I liked that kind of mentality, that we weren't going to just go along get along. And sometimes shaking it—now, I disagree with them. but sometimes shaking up the system is not a bad thing, because career politicians, again, they have zero incentive structure to change— uh, issues or, uh, uh, thoughts on, on big pieces of legislation. So he came in and really shook up the system, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> did some good things, did some not so good things in my estimation, but, um, but I, I think you think... could
1: say that about any president, right? Certainly. And that's, that's Certainly. really the And key.
2: again, Jenna, 8 million mm-hmm. Americans in this country voted for Barack Obama once or twice that then voted for Donald Trump, right? Mm-hmm. They're not super partisan. They right. saw the first black president as a beacon of their hope to change their lot in life. And they saw Donald Trump who didn't come from government, right, mm-hmm. came from the business side, as someone that could deliver results for them. Right, um, so
1: last question yeah. that we have in our minute and a half, uh, what would have made you vote for President Trump?
2: Uh, what would have made me vote for President Trump? Uh, you know, I, I, I think it would have been, I don't know if I necessarily would have voted for him, but there were certain candidates on my side that were running, had they won, uh, I probably would have had a problem. Yeah. Uh, with them.
1: I remember that this question uh, I, I chose out of the lineup because I remember a conversation we had in the green room and yeah. I'm not gonna, you know, disclose the sanctity yeah. of the green room, but uh, but that was actually your comment to me was if there were a few problems, there were people a couple running. of people and, yeah. and you were saying I'm a Joe Biden supporter, but yeah. if XYZ person gets
2: you know gets yeah. in,
1: then uh then I might just vote for President Trump. And I yeah. think that was when I brought out my signed MAGA hat. You did, and you, you took did. a picture There's a photo. with it. There's there a is a photo. There is a photo. Hopefully, it's been there, destroyed. So no, no, of course For all the
2: evidence, of I know this it is the problem with the <laughs> constitutional lawyer. That she saves all the evidence.
1: Of course I do. Of course I do. <laughs> well, Kevin, it was so great to have you, here and I hope for people listening, uh, this has been a conversation yeah. where, of course, this will continue. You're welcome back anytime. We'll have to make sure to get you back I would love on. I uh, To just see that there are rational sides on and, and arguments on both sides. We have to approach this in good faith and at least extend to the other person, we're all Americans. We'll be right back with more on Just The Truth.
4: I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know, I love Skims underwear. So I finally tried their bras and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past. And the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop down menu that follows.
1: Welcome back to Just the Truth. And joining me now is Lucas Miles, who's the author of a brand new book called The Christian Left, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. So Lucas, thanks so much for joining me. Um, This is a really important conversation for the church to have. Uh, So tell me more about your book. You're a pastor as well, so you would know these things uh, personally.
0: Yeah, I've been a pastor. I started preaching at 17. I'll be 42 this year. So I've been doing this a while. I actually at the same church for about 17 years. And I've started seeing, uh, you know, I'm in a red state. I'm in Indiana, but a blue county, actually the same county that uh, Pete Buttigieg is from and was mayor in uh, in South Bend here. And, you know, I've just seen over the last few years what The New York Times has described as this ascendant liberal Christianity. And it's become more and more concerning. As the left really exchanges the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for this Marxist trinity of diversity, inclusion, and social justice, and I felt like I needed to write something and really help uh, America find Christian orthodoxy again.
1: Hmm. Yeah, this is so important. And so, uh, what do you think is then is the most important point uh, for the church and for pastors to take away from this? When uh, there's all of this theology of you know the woke leftism of love, yep. inclusion, uh, you know the socialist Jesus.
0: Yeah, so I mean, there's so many things. And of course, there's a spectrum here, you know, not everybody who posted, say, a black square on Instagram for BLM is a leftist, you know, and and it's it's important that we realize that, uh, that, you know, there are some pastors who are just afraid of losing their 501 C3 uh, C3 status. And so they're just not speaking out. And they're afraid. They don't know what to say about. There's others that just, you know, believe the pulpit should never be involved in any sort of political conversation. But there's truly those who have drifted away from really orthodox Christianity into what I call these divergent dark waters of progressive theology. And they've started embracing, you know, un, uh, anti-biblical ideas like, uh, uh, you know, same-sex marriage and, you know, LB- LGBTQ agenda. And, you know, as well as, you know, all the socialist concepts, you know, this idea that Jesus was the first great socialist that Mikhail Gorbachev, you kind of spouted and others have obviously echoed as well and it's really a distortion of christianity and and i think that pastors uh, those who still believe in the Bible, I want to encourage them through this book to uh, to really stand up for their faith, to, to, to grab a hold of of you know uh, the truth in Scripture and, and scriptural orthodoxy. And then those that maybe are on the fence, that they're hearing these messages and going, you know, where's the real Jesus here? That they would really kind of take this journey with me through this book into church history and current events and, and of course, Scripture and really find their way back to the truth.
1: Yeah, and this is such an important conversation, Lucas, because we're seeing very prominent uh, self-proclaimed Christians who are now abandoning yeah. their faith for the progressive theology. I mean, people like Joshua Harris, um, you know, people then even like uh, you have the the bachelor guy, I forget Colton uh, Underwood, I think is his name, who's, who was a self-proclaimed Christian, but now says, well, I'm gay, therefore I can still love Jesus. I mean, this is something where um, the, the purity of Orthodox theology is important, and why do you see this trend of Christians like Joshua Harris and others that are prominent, uh, but then have now abandoned their faith for progressive yeah. woke theology?
0: You know, I uh, first of all, the left realizes that in order to win elections, they have to divide the church. The religious vote is the most powerful vote in this country, and unless the left really, di- you know, uh, kind of dispit, you know, disperses that, uh, they're not going to be able to keep winning elections. And so they've sowed a lot of confusion into, uh, I think, religious communities. Uh, they've put a lot of leftists in pulpits. Uh, we have, it's kind of dripped down from the professors of these leftists, you know, Christian seminaries into the pastors and eventually into the pews. There's also, as you mentioned, sort of this celebration of deconversion, you know, from when, you know, traditionally evangelicals sort of become woke and embrace all of these other progressive notions, and they want to call that Christianity. Look, I am in. I believe in America, and I will die for somebody to have the freedom to worship and 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 you know believe what they want, want to believe, but we cannot just you know create our own religion and still call it Christianity. Uh, Christianity is a very well-defined uh, religion that we find the truth of in Scripture, and so it is. You know we can't just you know kind of create or choose our own adventure here. You know with the gospel. Um, I think that there are those also within Christian media and Christian journalism. Uh, some of those at the top, I call this in the book, the Christian cabal. And there's basically some power brokers that uh, are in kind of Christian circles that many of them are atheists and agnostics that are sort of pulling the strings with publishing deals and, and Christian filmmaking, et cetera. And they're really shaping a message that, uh, that supports this sort of woke Christianity that's out there that I call in the book, obviously, the Christian left.
1: Yeah, and I think this is also really important uh, when we're talking about the context of politics, because uh, the Republican Party has by and large said we need to have a bigger tent. We need to say that conservatives and evangelicals even need to embrace some of these things like the LGBT agenda. And if we don't, we're never going to win elections again. What's your word to pastors on that?
0: So it's actually, I, I wrote this book. We were originally hoping to get it out by the election. And of course, you know, things got crazy, so we, we halted. Um, but uh, when I was writing the conclusion, that was really my focus, because although there are, you know, a tremendous amount of issues on the left, which I address in this book, there's also some concerning things on the right. From a, from a uh, political standpoint, I'm not so concerned about some of the allegiances that are being made within the conservative party or Republican party. But from a faith standpoint, we have to be careful to actually separate those things in that regard. Uh, John Calvin, you know, Said it this way about the separation of church and state back in the 1500s he said that the the state should always be far enough away from the church that it can never tell it what to do but the church should always be close enough to the state in order to be your conscience and i think that's a, a guide that we should continue to follow
1: yeah that's fantastic well lucas miles uh your new book which is the christian left how liberal thought has hijacked the church uh where can people find this book
0: Absolutely, so it hit number one on Amazon in three different categories this last month. Of course, they can get it on all the major platforms, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, et cetera, but if they wanna support the author, they can head over to lucasmiles.org and they can order a copy there and everybody who orders a copy on my site, I'm signing and sending those out.
1: Nice, well that is where I'm gonna get my copy then. So Lucas, thanks so much. This is, again, a really important topic. Thank you for writing this and I hope everyone goes out and buys this book and really reads it. Give it to your pastor.